Revelation. We have covered so far a lot of material. Basically, tonight's lesson is going to be the opposite, second part of last week's backside of that handout. I made a new handout for tonight. It's the exact same thing as last week, but we're going to cover the harlot tonight uh, more in detail from Revelation 17 and 18. I have previously read 17, so I'm not going to take time to do that. I will read chapter 18 in a minute, but think about it. We covered chapter 13 and 17 kind of together. And then we looked at Daniel chapter 2 and also Daniel chapter 7 and 8. I have handouts here from, pre, from the past few weeks on that. Um, the, the map you got, the handout you got from last week, I'll be referring to that tonight as well, the blue sheet and some of the charts on that. But uh, basically, we're going to kind of pick up from where we left off last week and uh, we're going to talk about the, the uh, harlot, uh, the Antichrist, his kingdom, the heart of riding the beast, and the things that follow that. So, uh, follow along in Revelation chapter 18, verse 1, the fall of Babylon. After this, and by the way, last week we also covered the seven, uh, the seven um, bowls of judgment uh, in chapters uh, 14 and 15, partly. After this, I saw another, an angel, another angel, coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. And with a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen. I am not a widow and I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine she will be consumed by fire for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of uh, citron wood, and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour, and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and bodies and souls of men. They will say, the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. 
The merchants who sold these things will, and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who traveled by, traveled by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea, will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Whoa, whoa, O great city, where, are, or where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets, for God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and all who had been killed on the earth. Ending then chapter 18. So, as we walk through this, you can see in your outline, we're going to talk about the four questions regarding the harlot on the beast, you know, who is a harlot, and so then we'll talk about five reasons why God will judge the harlot, and then five reasons to flee from the judgment of the harlot. So first of all, uh, as I said, John saw the harlot riding the beast. And on 11.18, or 11, excuse me, 11.8, figure 11.8, which is the bottom figure on your blue sheet, if you can kind of look at that, uh, it, it kind of is descriptive then of some of the symbols and the meaning. And then you can see on the left-hand side, Revelation 17, then the interpretation, Revelation 17 and 18 on the right-hand side, so what was the symbol, what was the meaning, etc. So just a little chart kind of like to lay out what we're going to talk about tonight. So first of all, uh, four important questions. Number one, who is the harlot? Uh, John tells us the harlot is a great city. John 17, verse 18. But what's a city? A city is simply people, correct? A city consists of people. In this case, Babylon is a group of people who simply love the world. So think of Babylon as being uh, worldliness world, uh, of the world. Um, and so it's a group of people who love the world, who are part of the world. Um, and so what is, or who is the harlot? Uh, number two, why does John compare the city of the Antichrist to a harlot? Now, you'll recall that earlier prophets of old compared uh, evil cities to harlots. We can see this. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 21, Isaiah 23, 16 and 17, Nahum chapter 3, verse 4. But a, really, a wealthy city represents the world. Uh, the Bible warns believers not to love the world or anything of it. If you, 
get nothing out of this, please keep in mind you're going to see how God hates worldliness and calls his followers to come out of the world. We live here, but we don't belong here. And if there's ever a time, I think, that the, this needs to be preached again to the churches today, uh, God, I hit it on Sunday, but God wants us to be separate. You know, the ones who are called, holy called to be saints from, from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And so, basically, the, war, the Bible warns believers not to love the world or anything in it. The world, like a harlot, uh, in, uh, it tries to draw people's desires away from God, uh, away from the things of God in the wrong direction. Uh, the worldly values of a big city might include the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And, and so basically, uh, the worldly values of a big city was, was trying to seduce people away from God. Therefore, John compares this worldly city, if you will, to a harlot. Uh, number two. Number three, why was the title Mystery Babylon on her forehead? Well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was on her forehead to show who she was. She was a harlot. Now, in that time, there were many temple prostitutes uh, that were there. Matter of fact, we, we'll get into this more in Corinthians, but the temple at Corinth had what was said to be 1,000 uh, temple prostitutes or harlots. Each harlot had a small cell. Each wore a headband with her name on it. So therefore, it was to show that this, per, this was a harlot, all right, number one. Secondly, the name Mystery Babylon hides her true name. And so think of this, if you will, as John's telling a parable. The city John has in mind was what? Rome. Remember we talked about that in ancient Rome? Um, and, and so that's the city John had in mind. Rome represents the world. Rome rep represents the values of the world. And so really calling Rome a harlot directly would have brought more danger to Christians in John's day. So John kind of disguises this, this by, calling, by calling it Mystery Babylon. Uh, um, the root word of Babylon is Babel. Uh, it was a city known for rebellion against God. You recall that uh, its, its leader was Nimrod. Babylon was the first center of his kingdom, Genesis chapter 10. And so Babylon represents all the world and all the values of the world. Uh, she represents all worldly people who have ever lived, Revelation 18, 24. And so once again, uh, see how serious God sees worldliness in this whole thing. Number four, why then was the harlot riding the beast? Uh, the capital city and the government simply go together. And so with that, Rome depended on Caesar. Uh, the city was powerful because of the government. Likewise, the capital city of the Antichrist will prosper because of the Antichrist. Uh, a city depends on, on their leader in that sense. So there's a kind of a sense in which uh, the government carries the capital city. But keep this in mind. The harlot rides, uh, rides the beast but does not control. All right? It's part of but does not control. Um, we've, we've, uh, 
looked at these questions, but basically uh, keep in mind the harlot is a city. It's a group of people who simply love the world and the values of the world, not the things of God. God's going to judge the city. That is, he will judge the people in the city. And so let's look at five reasons going on here in the second part of that of why God is going to judge the harlot, but also to show us how you and I can avoid God judging us. And so the things we're going to talk about uh, should not be in our lives, all right, in that. So first of all, God's going to judge those who are proud. God, God does not like arrogance and pride, all right? Pride leads to a person's downfall. It goes before destruction. And so a couple of things here reveals the pride of the harlot city. The first is, is that the dress reveals her pride. It says in Revelation 17, verse 4, the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She basically dressed this way to flaunt her wealth. Okay. Um, with that, uh, she dressed in a way that would draw attention to herself. Uh, people who are humble won't bring attention to themselves. They won't say, hey, look at me, look at how I look, and look at how, you know, what I'm about and stuff. So basically, um, she was bringing attention to herself through her dress, her pride. Uh, but, but also, sometimes people dress in a way uh, as to try to get the attention of others. For example, uh, a, a young teenage girl might dress in a way that might attract a young teenage boy Maybe she doesn't feel the love of home or, or her father, you know, father figure is missing or whatever. And so she will dress in a way as to elicit the attention of others and of, of other men. And it may cause her to seek love maybe in the wrong ways. And we've heard of that and, and seen that illustrated before. But bottom line is, however you look at it, pride is a terrible sin. All right. And, and pride will bring a person down, as I said. Uh, everyone who exalts himself is going to be humbled. But he who humbles himself, God will exalt. Um, and so first of all, her dress, the way she dressed reveals her pride. And she wanted to flaunt her wealth. Number two, her speech also shows she is proud. Uh, she says in Revelation 18, verse 7, In her heart she boasts. She boasts, I sit as queen, I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. Basically, she talks about her favorite person, herself. Have you ever gotten a conversation with somebody and everything was about them? You know, me, 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 I, 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 well, I. And you can see this here, I sit as queen, I am not a widow, I will never mourn. And so harlots are known for their proud words. I just want to read to you from Proverbs chapter 7 uh, regarding this, then kind of a cross-reference. Proverbs chapter 7, 10 through 21. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. I always say to Jill, when, when there's a scantily clad woman or something, I said, there's a wily woman, be careful. You know, there's a wily woman right there, all right? That's why wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and in every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I paid my vows, so now I have come out to meet you and to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. 
I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he'll come home. And then it says this in Proverbs 7, 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. She compels him. And so basically, uh, the, the harlots, harlots are known for their pride, for their arrogance, for their speech, for their language. And we can see that once again in Proverbs chapter 7. Uh, she calls herself a queen. In other words, she thinks she's better than the next person. She thought she was above others. Reminds me of the religious person in Luke 18 that Jesus told this parable about the tax collector and the, and the Pharisee. And basically, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, uh, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I mean, look how good I am. I, I fast. Oh, by the way, I, I, I tithe of all that I get. And then the tax collector is, is standing to the side. He won't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus tell, says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. In other words, the tax collector. When, when, when God's doing a work in the IRS agent, more so than, than the religious person, you know, something's up here, all right? And, uh, but anyway, Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so, so here's this lady, here's this, here's this uh, harlot, and she, she, she is uh, saying, hey, I'm a queen, this and that. Um, I've come to the conclusion for all of us, it does not matter what we say about ourselves. It only matters what he says about us. We can say, I'm a queen, I'm this, I'm that. Even in Revelation 3, the church in Laodicea, Jesus said, you say, I am rich, I am an increase with goods, I am in need of nothing. But Jesus saying, I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus says, don't you realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? Now, anybody in that condition should see their condition, but we're deceived, we're blinded. And so it's not what we say, it's what he says. And so keep that in mind as well as far as what's really important here. What does God say about me? That's the real question, not what do I say about me. Um, the harlot bragged about her future. She boasted that she would always be happy, Revelation eighteen seven. Uh, James also warns against boasting about the future, James chapter 4, 13 through 16. And so really, what then can the attitude of the harlot teach us? Well, it teaches us to be humble before God, to avoid being a braggart, to, to avoid being a person who thinks they, they have it all together when they don't. All right. And so here, here, here is this harlot. Uh, God saying, God's saying, I'm going to judge. I'm going to judge the proud. And uh, just as God judges her, he will judge us with pride in our hearts as well. You recall that Peter, remember Peter bragged, Lord, I'll never deny you. I mean, 
And all of a sudden, the rooster's crowing, and he's denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed twice, you know. And so basically, um, um, uh, Proverbs 27, 2. Let another praise you and not your own word, your own mouth. Let somebody else and not your own lips. So basically, um, he who tells his own story makes a hero of himself. He who tells his own story makes a hero of himself. You don't need to tell your own story. Let God do that, you know. But basically, number one is pride. And so pride, not good, all right. Uh, not going to do it. All right. Number two, God will judge not only those who are proud, but number two, those who are selfish. Selfish. Here's the deal. The harlot loved things more than people. The harlot loved things more than people. Um, if you look at the list of things uh, mentioned here uh, in 11, let's go back to 1811. Revelation 18.11 The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of, what's the first thing mentioned? Gold. If you go to verse 13, what's the last thing mentioned? People, souls of men. Do you see where the priority is intentional there? But it's also backwards. All right, The order is, is gold at the top, the souls of people at the bottom. And it's not an accident things are in this order. Uh, the world values things more than the world values people. The world uses people oftentimes to get things, you know, to their own advantage. And so uh, the world values things more than people. Think of it this way. Rome spent lots of money on herself. A little history, Nero spent close to $100,000 on Egyptian roses for one banquet. All right. The Roman ruler Vitellius, V-I-T-E-L-L-I-U-S, am I saying that right? I don't know. He spent $20 million in one year mostly on food. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, Rome honestly had little concern for others. Uh, there is no city in the world today that compares with ancient Rome. However, the standard of living in some countries is very high. Now, we as humans tend to spend most of our money on ourselves, right? Right. As wages increase, so does our standard of living. We buy bigger houses, we get better cars, better clothes, better food, and more things. Check this out. America has less than 5% of the world's population, but uses 25% of the world's resources. I read in studying for this last week, uh, a recent article I came across my, came across my computer screen, and uh, the guy from Amazon, is it Jeff Bezos, I think it is? He just recently had a pretty good-sized yacht built for him. I don't know if you've read on this or not. I was doing some research on it. It's a five, and, and I'm not against yachts, um, but it's a $500 million yacht. It's 417 feet long. That's huge. 417 feet long, largest in the world. And it costs, here's, here's the kicker to me. 
and he can afford it, but it cost $25 million a year to operate. Just to keep this thing floating in the water with staff, with fuel, with whatever, $25 million a year. Again, if you want to do that, you can do that, whatever. I'm just saying that's a lot of change. All right, $500 million to build, $25 million a year to maintain. Um, here's an example. Uh, John Wesley, heard of him? The Wesley brothers. John Wesley stands a great, in a great contrast to the greedy. From the sale of his books alone, and this was the 1700s, okay, John Wesley gave away over... 30,000 British pounds. Now, I was doing, I don't know what a pound is, so I looked it up today. And, if, and that amount right there is worth, valued at, and this is late 1700s, okay? So this is a bunch of money. That is $37,337.55. So $37,337. Late 1700s is what he gave away. Now, he told one of his preachers in, 18, or in 1787 that he personally, because of the books that he wrote and everything else selling, he never gave away less than 1,000 pounds a year. That's $1,244. This is 1787. Okay, keep that in mind. This is not today's figures, back then. Uh, when, uh, yet when he died, he only had a few pounds to his name. When he earned 30 pounds a year, he lived on 28 and gave two to the Lord. The next year, his salary doubled. He still lived on 28 and gave the rest away. Okay. Thus, God entrusted him with larger and larger amounts. And see, he, he knew the secret of, of giving. Um, Billy Graham said this, God gave us two hands, one to receive and one to give. The story, and I looked this up, when I was reading that, I thought of George Miller. George Miller used of God to build orphanages, feeding over 10,000 kids, didn't have a, a nickel to his name. He prayed in, George Miller prayed in over $8 million. There'd be the kids at the table, I've read the stories, and, and, and they were praying, asking God to bless food that wasn't even on the table. And when, when he would get done praying, or even before he got done praying, there'd be a knock on the door and there'd be food for those orphans. He prayed in 80 or eight, $8 million. That's a lot of change. He died with less than $800 to his name. All right? He learned not to hang on to it, but to give it. I, I believe that we can learn in that. Um, believers need to excel in the grace of giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Christ is our example of grace. Uh, today we have 1.3 billion people living on less than a dollar a day. Back when I went to Brazil in 1987, uh, we had, I carried with me back then about $300 of just, I call it pocket change, in 87, I was in Bible college, there's a lot of money, but that was the equivalent of a year's salary of the Brazilians back then. Okay, and uh, uh, just to give you an idea, but that, that is so true even today, uh, people live on very little bit. Now, those who reap much should not keep too much. 
I mean, I mean the Bible says, to whom much is given, 10% is required. doesn't say that, does it? We think it does. lets us off the hook. Well, I'll give 10%. No, to whom much is given, much is required. Therefore, I thought about then the, the Bishop of Botswana being in the state-of-the-art facility and how he must have thought of, of, of being here in America, seeing the, the riches that we have. And right or wrong, I'm not saying anything of that. I'm just saying it must have been a culture shock for him as it would be for us going maybe across seasons. Like, how do you guys survive? What do you guys do? You know, and, and so there's that part of it too. But to whom much is given, much is required. And I think one of the reasons, Mary Lou, you're a champion at this, but one of the reasons we're, we're getting pillows and we're getting uh, clothes for kids and we're giving food for the canned food drive. By the way, almost 500 cans, and I was here to help Bill load up for Resurrection Street Ministry the Monday after Easter. I didn't mention this last week. And he said, hey, this is funny, because he does this all the time. And he said, uh, I bet there's about 500 cans here. He was five cans off. I mean, how do you do that, sir? And so he guessed it. He guessed it. But he said, this is really going to be coming in handy because right now we're putting together boxes for food boxes and we're short on canned supplies. He'll tell us the water that we usually give for the street ministry at the end of May when he picks that up in his truck. And that will supply him for one whole month this summer for the homeless, homeless ministry. But that's why we do what we do. That's why Mary Lou is saying we need to get suitcases for OCJ kids. We need to get diapers. We need to get baby clothes. I mean, whatever. Why? Because we are blessed. All right? Let's not, let's not hang on to it, but let's give it away and invest in, in the kingdom somehow or another You know, with, with that. So um, God's going to judge, number two. I'm, I need to keep on going here. God's going to judge those who are selfish. Number three. God will judge those who love evil. Revelation 17, verse 4. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Now, the harlot didn't hide her sin. It was out and about. I mean, everybody, everybody, everybody could see that. She held a golden cup filled with the abominable things. She held up a golden cup of evil for all to see. She bragged about her filthy deeds. In other words, put it this way, Hartman's paraphrase, she advertised her sin. All right, she was proud. She was arrogant in that. She gloried in her shame. Paul said that if a believer loves sin, he should be handed over to Satan. The right attitude towards sin is simply this. The only attitude towards sin is to repent of it. That's what needs to happen, not brag on it. I, I was reading again. Uh, how many have heard of this actor, TV personality guy, Nick Cannon? He was bragging. He has 12 kids from six ladies. Six ladies, bunch of twins. And his latest conquest, I, I'd like to have a kid with her. Well, buddy, uh, I'll just bless him with the Lorena Bobbitt blessing, I guess. I don't know, but... Seriously, I mean, he's flaunting, he's flaunting his sin. All right, call it for what it is. Uh, those who love evil hate God. Those who love God hate evil. And so God's going to judge those who love evil. Number four, God will judge those who influence others to sin. 
Great cities have great influence. Nations follow directions of the cities that, that lead it. Uh, it, it. It is the cities that set the styles, the values, the destinies of a nation. I mean, what happens in New York or L.A. is going to soon hit the nation. We've seen this. I've seen this over the years. I'm old enough now to see the trends and the patterns of what might be influenced over here or there. And, and honestly, the reason why this state has changed so much is because of the influence of some of the... Uh, progressive, whatever, sinful junk that's coming from California. It's there, uh, right? But um, woe to those who causes somebody else to sin or to stumble, all right? So we have uh, what the city is today, the nation becomes tomorrow. And honestly, a city, a big city, is going to teach its people the ways of the world. You know, the evil things that become popular in a city spread to other places, Keep in mind that sin is like yeast. Uh, it spreads. A little yeast uh, influences the entire loaf of bread. So here is Rome. Rome was not only a harlot, she was the mother of harlots, it says in Revelation 17.5. She gave birth to others that shared her values. Rome influenced leaders. Uh, it says in Revelation 17.2, With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. Revelation 17, 2. That is, its leaders and businessmen shared her values. Why? So they could share the wealth and the power. Um, I think of, I just put my notes here in parentheses, Jeffrey Epstein. You know, think of the, the corruption and the moral decay uh, of, of that gentleman and, and those that, uh, with her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. It reminds me of that. Uh, finally, Rome influenced common people. I mean, those who live on earth were drunk, it says, with the wine of her adulteries, Revelation 17, 2. And so she led other nations astray through her magic spell, Revelation 18, 23. Um, and so the people of Rome caused others to sin. Once again, woe to those who cause others to stumble. Number five. God will judge those who persecute the righteous. And now, going back to Revelation chapter 16, I'm going to reread 5 and 6, I think it is. Yeah, 5 and 6, Revelation 16. And it says this. Where does 5 begin? Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are were a holy one, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them, the, given them blood to drink as they deserve. And so basically, um, God's saying, Hey, I'm going to judge because the way she treated Christians. And... Uh, uh, always keep in mind, you might say, well, w when will justice be handed out? Church, justice will be handed out, period. All right, God's going to judge. And, and woe be to those who uh, cause Christians to suffer, to be persecuted, to be killed, to be martyred. Uh, that's all plays in it. And so it says in Revelation 18, 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets, for God has judged her for the way she treated you. The judgment of the harlot is the answer to the prayers of the saints. Remember the prayer related to the fifth seal, Revelation 6, 10. The martyrs prayed for justice. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord? Holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. See, God is just 
and God must judge those who persecute the righteous. Revelation 20, 18, 24, In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. Every righteous person was not killed in Babylon, but she represents evil of all time. And so keep in mind, the harlot then is a group of people who love the world, who love the values of the world. God's going to judge those people for five reasons. Because of pride, because of selfishness, arrogance, because of love of evil, influence others to sin, and because they persecute the righteous. We can all avoid God's judgment by avoiding these five areas uh, 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 the sins of the harlot. Now, let me close tonight then, talking about five reasons, the next ten minutes, five reasons to flee the judgment of the harlot. Now, just a little setting here. John tells us that the harlot is the capital city of the Antichrist. However, the harlot city is made up of people. We talked about that. The people share the values of the world and the worldly system. Now, the glory Babylon has today will be gone like that. All right. Her beauty will turn to ashes, and one hour she'll be ruined, Revelation 18, verse 17. Babylon is a city made up of people. John Wesley compared a person's life to an arrow flying through the air. It's either flying toward heaven or it's flying toward hell. Every person is like that arrow on their way to heaven or on their way to hell. And so keep in mind, life is temporary. The world and all its desires are going to pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever, 1 John 2, 17. So each person should flee the coming judgment for five reasons. Number one, the judgment of the worldly is certain. You can be assured that the judge of the earth will do right. God is going to judge the judgment of the citizens of Babylon is so certain that the angel here spoke as if it already happened in Revelation 18.2. Babylon was standing, and yet the angel here said she had fallen. She was like a great tree that had been cut and was about to fall. See, God calls the things that are not as though they are. And so here's this angel saying Babylon has fallen. Even though it hasn't happened yet, it was certain before God. And so, number one, the judgment of the worldly is certain. Looking into the future, the angel saw Babylon as a city totally ruined. Revelation 18.2, a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Now, Charles Finney, ever heard of him? Charles Finney, he was a great man of God. He was interesting. He was studying to be a lawyer, and he was close to finishing studying his, his uh, four years to be a lawyer. And as he sat in his new, new law office, the Spirit of God began to bring questions to his mind. The question was, Finney, what will you do when you finish law school? Finney said, I'm going to practice law, God. And then God says, then what? Well, I'll get rich. Then what? Retire. Then what? Die, said Finney. Then what, God says? The judgment, answered Finney. And the words were so penetrating to Charles Finney's heart that he ran to the forest to be alone. God speaks to you in a forest, by the way. He ran to the forest to be alone. There he got down on his knees. He prayed, and he vowed not to leave the woods until he was sure of his peace with God. He prayed all day. He saw the foolishness of living for the world. 
So he committed his life in those woods to following Jesus Christ. That moment, spiritual blessings came into his life. He became a preacher instead of a lawyer, and over the next 50 years brought thousands to Christ. All right, I like reading his stuff on revival. have a whole file on it. But basically, church, the final judgment of God is certain. Before each big decision, everyone should ask, then what? Then what? Then what? Because God's judgment of the worldly is going to happen. Number one. Number two, the judgment of the worldly is sudden. This is like over and over. Uh, her doom will come in one hour, Revelation 18, 10, and also 19. And then 21, then a mighty angel picked up a boulder of a, of a, of a large size of millstone, threw it in the sea, and it says, with such violence the great city of Babylon will be thrown down never, never to be found again. The judgment of the world will begin as sudden as a flood. We've seen that here. We'll see the, the rivers. I mean, it's been a crazy winter and a spring, um, but we'll see the washes all of a sudden being filled. And it's like, where'd that come? But with them, they'll be, they'll be bringing debris. And uh, the, the, head of that, the head of that river, if you will, all kinds of stuff in it. I mean, just all kinds of stuff in it. But uh, we have, the, what's, what is it called, the stupid motorist law in Arizona? If you cross these things and get stuck, you're paying to get yourself out kind of thing. I mean, it happens before you know it. And we've seen the devastation, even last year from the burn scars, up by Flagstaff. Some of this that has just devastated the areas surrounding Flagstaff and some of the homes out there. And so it's going to be sudden as a flood. It's going to come as sudden as the judgment of Sodom. It says in Luke 17, in the same days as Lot, people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. In other words, life goes on. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Evil will not roll on forever. There is coming a judgment day, and it's going to be certain. It's going to come. It's going to be sudden, all right? And that's what it's saying here. It's going to be as sudden as a car collision. Number three, the judgment of the worldly is partly from within. Amen? Uh, God's kingdom is united. The Holy Spirit leads us to unity. It leads us to peace. The wisdom from above is pure, loves peace, submits. But the kingdom of evil is a divided, not united kingdom. Submitting to authority is a godly value. But evil does not submit. Evil rebels. Now, the devil, I don't know why he doesn't know this, but maybe he does, but the devil cannot have a stable kingdom. Why? Because his leaders and followers are full of greed and rebellion. Division is a characteristic of evil. The devil is the father of rebellion. And so there's going to be uh, division, destruction, that kind of thing. Friends, the devil is not loyal to those who serve him. Uh, Revelation 17, the beast in verses 16 and 17. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin. I mean, the Antichrist will destroy his own capital city. This is, this is not strange for a madman. Uh, Nero set Rome on fire, the capital city, and it's going to happen again. Evil eventually self-destructs. That's the nature of evil. All right. 
Uh, those who be, befriend evil will be attacked by evil. One quick illustration. i got two more points. I'm going to finish up, please. Uh, a certain tribe had a custom. To become a warrior, the tribe required a young man to, to, to climb to the top of the mountain on a cold day. Well, one day, a young man began to climb. The higher he climbed, the colder it was. The air became very cold. Excuse me. About halfway up the mountain, a strange thing happened. He saw a poisonous snake. It was coiled and ready to strike, but the snake did not strike. It spoke. And the snake said, don't be afraid of me. I won't strike you. But the snake spoke, did not strike. And he says, I promise not to bite you. I am very cold. Please have mercy on me and uh, carry me with you to the bottom of the mountain. It's, it's much warmer there. Well, at first the, young man, uh, first the young man was alarmed, but he continued to listen to the snake. It convinced him. Finally, the young man uh, agreed to befriend the snake. Slowly, he reached his hand toward the serpent. It did not harm him, so he picked it up. He put the snake inside of his coat. There the snake was warmer, and it thanked him and did not bite him. The young man climbed the mountain and then came down the mountain successfully. Now he would become a warrior. He looked forward to telling others about the snake. They would be surprised that the snake, even though uh, uh, it, was, it was like the kind of snake that bites people, did not bite him. He reached in his pocket and he gently removed the snake. But as he put the snake down, the snake bit him. The young man cried out, Now I will die. You promised not to bite me. And the snake replied, Why are you surprised? You knew what I was when you picked me up. Wow. Number three. Number four, the judgment of the world, the worldly is lonely. Um, when judgment comes to the heart, her friends will stand, uh, will stand far off. Revelation 18, 9 and 10, 18, 15 and 18, 17. They will stand afar off and cry. Uh, they stand far off. So that is emphasized three times there. When the judgment of God comes, no sinner will have a friend. Uh, I've, I've I used to think this way before I got saved. Hey, well, if I, if I go to hell, I'm just going to party with my friends, you know, party, you know, whatever. Um, you're not going to party with your friends because you'll have no friends in hell. You'll be alone. You'll be in eternal torment, all right? The worldly will be judged, and it will be a lonely judgment. You'll be by yourself. You'll be crying out for, for yourself. Um, anyway, go on here. I got I to finish this up. Number five. The judgment of the worldly is permanent. Note the emphasis on never again in Revelation 18, 21 through 23, over again. Never to be found again. Never to be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you. I mean, over and over again. Now, many errors in life are permanent. If a carpenter, if a carpenter Alvin cuts a board too short, Alvin goes by his near board. All right. If a student fails a test, he can try it again. If a person misses a bus, he can catch one later, or an airplane ride or whatever. If a cook breaks a bowl, they can use a different one. If a hunter shoots and misses, he can hunt for another animal at another time. Life is full of second chances. But when God says, depart from me, there will be no more chances. All right, those who wait too long make an error that can never be changed because the judgment is permanent. I got more to say, but I'll just close it with that. The judgment of the worldly is permanent. And it's forever and ever. It's lonely. It's from within. It's sudden, etc. Next week, 
we are planning on then moving on to the second coming. And so read Revelation 19 and 20. And uh, I think I left it on my office door, actually, in my office desk. But I, had the, I redid the outline today on that one. Had it done for tonight, but not using that one tonight. So next week, second coming in judgment, we get into the hallelujah, the good news. Uh, it's going to be awesome. We're, we're getting toward the end of the book. It's pretty cool. But uh, read those chapters, study those chapters, and come back next week, and we'll talk about some of the good news now. Bad news, wars, tribulation, Antichrist, boom, boom, Revelation 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. We change emphasis a little bit. All right, God bless you. It's 718. If you have kids, please pick them up from class, from youth, or from kids' clubs. Have a great week in the Lord. Amen.